Welcome to this very special Halloween episode on Truth or Demons, the enigmatic legacy of spiritualism. Hello everyone! Welcome back to Truth or Demons. I'm your host, Stevie, and today is the seventh and final day of my seven super special episodes. And today I have a very special topic to discuss and share history with you all on, or topics rather, plural. But they all tie together to bring some fun, spooky history to you on this very special day. It's Halloween! Happy Halloween to all you creepy listeners. I hope everyone has had the best spooky season so far. And I hope everyone who celebrates Samhain is excited for tomorrow, and Dia de los Muertos is coming too. I love this time of year so much, if you haven't already guessed that. You know who else loved Halloween? The Warrens. But they loved Halloween for the fact that they believed on All Hallows' Eve, the veil between the living and the dead, was at its thinnest. They believed this meant you had a much greater chance at successfully speaking to the dead. A lot of stories nowadays portray the Warrens doing a lot of exorcisms and demon banishing, but one of their main tools when investigating a haunting were seances, and seances have mad amounts of historical documentation. Some believe they were absolute proof of the existence of the spirit realm, and some believed they were simply parlor tricks and games. There's some stock in the last statement, which brings me to today's topic, or topics rather. I'm going to touch on three main contributors to the world of spiritualism and communication with the dead. Loads of people know what a Ouija board is, what it does, what its purpose is, the history of it, and the battles raged in capitalism behind it. Side note, if you don't know the tense history behind the production of the Ouija board, I highly recommend looking into it. I know, I know, you're probably all yelling at me now, aren't you going to tell us the history of the Ouija board? But no, not today. Not in the sense of how it got famous, at least. Right now, I'm going to tell you about the history behind a major player in the creation of the Ouija board that gets overlooked too often with a couple of other aspects that seem to have been forgotten as well. I'm going to tell you all about the creation of the planchette and its subsequent use with the Ouija board. And also, I'm going to touch on some other key players in the development of spiritualism around the same time. Some of these things that existed and thrived in these times will absolutely blow your mind. So, snuggle up with your jack-o'-lanterns and let's get into the rich history behind this intriguing little device the intrigue of seances in spiritualism, and even something a little gross to get you in that Halloween spirit. Oh, and before I start, I wanted to address something that's always bugged me a little. As you know, if you're a long-time listener, I am a stickler on pronunciation of things. I don't like to say words or names wrong if I can help it, out of respect for the people and just language in general. It's just something I do for me, not to diss anyone else who says things that might be maybe pronounced wrong. I'm only in charge of me and what I say, so it's important for me to at least try to always get my pronunciations right. I do mess up, but it's still really important to me to try. So, today's pronunciation hang up. How do you pronounce the word Ouija or Ouija? I have always said Ouija, but if you go by what the words are said to be when broken down, you get oui, the French word for yes, and ja, the German word for yes. So, technically, it would be Ouija or Ouija if you want to get really technical. Now, this theory of the name is only one theory of its origin, but if you look at another, the one where the creators claimed they played it to ask it what it wanted to be called, it spelled out Ouija, and when they asked what it meant, it apparently spelled out the words good luck. But my favorite part of that bit is there was an alleged medium playing the game with its creators, and she was a big fan of a woman with the pseudonym Ouida, who was an English novelist named Maria Louise Reme. Also, this medium was supposedly wearing a locket with a picture of the writer inside. Some think that the medium was such a big fan of the writer that she wanted to pay homage to her by aiding in the naming of the board after her in a sort of way. Some think maybe it was supposed to be Ouija and not Ouija. 
but that's just one of the theories behind the name. I also found a source that says in Europe it's pronounced Ouija, and in the U.S. it's pronounced Ouija. So for the sake of not having an exact answer on this, I may say it both ways throughout, and I may not. It just depends on what comes out at this rate, I suppose. Anyways, let's take a look back into the past and learn about the Ouija board's predecessor, the planchette. The planchette is a very mysterious tool. What exactly is a planchette? What does the word planchette even mean? Physically, a planchette is a small, usually heart-shaped, or triangle with round edges, flat piece of wood or plastic with wheels or casters, or, on more modern planchettes, felted feet attached underneath. The wheels or feet enable the device to move more freely on the surface it's being used upon. It is often used in conjunction with a board, known as a planchette board or talking board, to facilitate spirit communication or divination. The concept of the planchette is typically associated with the Ouija board, but it has been used in various forms for centuries. Some sources date back to 15th century China for the creation and use of devices similar to the planchette. It is far older than the spirit or Ouija board, and it was used for many years before it was ever paired with the board. Here's how it works. It was mostly used in spirit communication. It's said to have began as a parlor game, but quickly became a tool taken very seriously by some for communicating with the other side. It's most widely known to be used by players by placing their hands on the planchette, and then the planchette would be placed on a smooth surface with letters, numbers, and words written on it, often arranged in a circular pattern. However, in its earlier use, there was a hole near the top of the planchette where a writing utensil would be placed, and then the planchette would be moved around to start the communication process, and a spirit would allegedly take over and use the planchette to begin automatic writing. Automatic writing is still widely used by mediums today. It's simply just initiating a connection with an alleged spirit and allowing said spirit to use you and the tool you're holding to write a message through. So when did the planchette come into use for the first time? It's not super clear, but it is estimated the first device named to be a planchette is said to have been created in 1852 or 53. There is a document stating the invention of the planchette from June 10, 1953, recorded by a man named Alan Kardec. He was an educator in France and eventually became known as one of the founders in spiritualism. What about the word planchette? Where did it come from? It's really simple, actually. It's named for exactly what it is, a little plank. French is my favorite language, and I remember learning if you add E-T-T-E to the end of a word, it makes it, quote, little, and whatever word you added it to also makes it the feminine version. In French class, my French teacher taught us all our names in French. Mine was Hnette. H-N is French for Steve, so Hnette, my French teacher told me, meant little Steve. <laughs> I also noticed if you use an app to translate the word planchette from French to English, it will sometimes say little board instead of little plank which I find interesting considering the planchette's future partnering with spirit boards. Fun facts with Stevie. <laughs> the concept of the planchette and its use in spirit communication is rooted in the belief that it allows connection between the living and the spirit world. It has been a popular tool for seances, divination, and paranormal investigations, but its effectiveness and the interpretation of its movements are highly controversial. Many consider the planchette's movements to be the result of idiomotor responses, unconscious involuntary muscle movements, rather than genuine spirit communication. So now, let's touch on the movement, no pun intended, that the planchette ignited. Spiritualism was already on the rise in most places at this time. Tarot was already being used as a parlor game in Italy and quickly adapted as a spirit communication and fortune-telling tool. And of course, there was plenty going on around the world involving spiritualism and attempting to speak to spirits and lost loved ones. In the U.S., you had the Fox Sisters. Who were the Fox Sisters? If you'd asked that question in the late 1800s, everyone would have known who you were talking about. In today's world, with all the instant access to media, information, and advertising, 
we often forget the rich history behind what's currently trending. When Halloween approaches every year, and the fascination with ghosts, goblins, and the potential to make contact with the other side takes hold, we're reminded that the veil between the worlds is believed to be thinnest on All Hallows' Eve. So who were the Fox sisters? Some would say they were the founders of the spiritualist movement, leaders in the quest for answers from the other side, and pioneers of the paranormal. Yet, others might argue that they were nothing more than elaborate hoaxes. The sisters themselves couldn't even agree on this matter. There were three sisters, but two were more widely known than the third. Among the three sisters, Leah, the oldest, and Maggie and Kate, the ones in the limelight. Maggie and Kate spent a significant part of their lives traveling and showcasing their supernatural show for the world to witness and dissect. From believers to skeptics, all sought the truth and the possibility of speaking to the dead. They used knocks heard during seances to translate the message the other side wished to convey. Their performances brought both drama and sometimes comfort. Some claim that alleged mediums, like the Fox sisters, offered closure, while others insisted they were frauds. Regardless of what was true, when it came to the Fox sisters, this whole country, and even many other countries, were completely enthralled by them and their mission. Even Adam, my guest from episode 6 of the Super Special Episodes, brought up the Fox sisters in our conversation, and he's from England. If you haven't already, definitely check out that episode. It was so much fun having Adam on the show. Anyways, the Fox sisters were definitely well known as pioneers of spiritualism. The effect they had on the development of spiritualism in the late 1800s in the U.S. is still very much apparent today. I personally am a huge fan of the Fox sisters and their story. It's really incredible. I highly recommend looking deeper into it. And I recently used the Fox sisters as inspiration for a project I did with my lovely friend Tia. She and I are both models, and we mostly model just for the fun of it these days. We love getting all dressed up and taking fun-themed photos. And sometimes, we submit those photos to magazines for publication. And so for spooky season, we decided to do a shoot in honor of the Fox sisters. So I made us a couple of pretty dresses with poofy sleeves inspired by some fan art I'd seen of the Fox sisters, and we went to the cemetery. And those photos got published! So big shout out to my friend Tia, our photographer Joey, my friend Shikana for doing our makeup, and Misfit Magazine's Halloween edition for publishing us. And thanks to the Fox sisters. Such a fun Halloween surprise and accomplishment for us both. Oh, and my little blurb about the Fox sisters in this very episode got published in the magazine too. Anyways, I had to shout that out and congratulate me and Tia on such a fun and exciting moment for us. Back to my little history lesson. There's one final topic I wanted to address and how the rise of spiritualism took the world by storm. And it's often forgot about a lot in today's practices, mostly because of how gross it was, I would assume. <laughs> I'm talking about ectoplasm, the insanely bizarre phenomenon that had a very short run in the world of spiritualism and seances in the late 18 and early 1900s. Ectoplasm was a term commonly associated with the paranormal or supernatural phenomena. At the time of its rise, it had people insanely curious as to how it could be conjured into existence. It was often depicted as a viscous, semi-transparent substance that is believed to emanate from the medium or spiritualist during a seance or attempts to communicate with the dead. Ectoplasm was said to be a materialization of spiritual energy and that it could take various forms such as a mist, fog, or even solid shapes. There's actually photographic evidence of ectoplasm too. Alleged evidence, that is. It's notable that there are several instances of ectoplasmic manifestations during seances. Here are some of the alleged reports of the appearance of ectoplasm. There was a woman named Eva C., and she was a famous medium in the early 20th century. During her seances, attendees claimed to have seen ectoplasmic materialization in the form of hands, faces, and other body parts. However, skeptics often accused her of fraud. 
Another woman named Helen Duncan, a Scottish medium, gained notoriety during World War II. She claimed to produce ectoplasm during her seances and allegedly communicated with the spirits of deceased soldiers. Duncan was arrested and prosecuted under the Witchcraft Act of 1735. War was also a big player in the spiritualist movements over the years. War meant death and loss, and spiritualists offered the grief-stricken an opportunity to find closure or even speak with a misloved one just one more time. Then there was Mina, or Marjorie Crandon. Marjorie Crandon, known as Marjorie the Medium, was a controversial figure in the 1920s. Her seances reportedly included ectoplasmic manifestations, levitating objects, and other supernatural occurrences. Her claims were the subject of investigations and skepticism. Many of the investigations of ectoplasm led to it being debunked. And finally, there was a man named Daniel Dunglass Holm. Daniel was a prominent medium in the 19th century. He was known for his ability to produce various paranormal phenomena during seances, including the appearance of hands and faces made of ectoplasm. Many instances of ectoplasm manifestations were often met with skepticism and were later debunked as fraudulent. The scientific community generally considers such phenomena to be the result of trickery and deception rather than genuine paranormal activity. So now, let's talk about some of the scientific investigations and skepticism surrounding ectoplasm. Ectoplasm and the phenomena associated with it have been the subject of scientific investigations and skepticisms for many years. Many prominent scientists and researchers have attended many a seance and investigated claims of ectoplasmic manifestations to determine their authenticity. Most of these investigations aim to find natural explanations for the phenomena, such as fraud, sleight of hand, or psychological factors. The skepticism over most paranormal phenomena in all spiritualist movements is very real, and most of the time stemming from the scientific community. Many scientists actively sought to debunk claims of paranormal activity. But you know who else was a bigger seeker of the truth behind these paranormal occurrences? Harry Houdini, the famous magician. He actually had a whole team of people he would send to infiltrate seances and expose the frauds within. He hated that people would put on a farce and claim it to be true. I love this dynamic in Harry Houdini so much. So skeptics would point out that low-light conditions in seance rooms and the secrecy surrounding the process made it easier for mediums to engage in trickery and deceit. I have to agree with this notion. Our eyes play tricks on us all the time, even more so in dim or dark situations. It's also worth noting that magicians and illusionists often replicated ectoplasmic manifestations to demonstrate how they could be produced using sleight of hand and props. Various mediums who claimed to produce ectoplasm were exposed as frauds left and right over this time period. It was determined in some cases, concealed objects, hidden pouches, or even cheesecloth were used to create the appearance of ectoplasm. These people would actually swallow these items and then regurgitate them with the assistance of string to levitate them up and out of the medium's mouth. Many times this was captured in photographs. Then the photographs and seance records were analyzed, often revealing inconsistencies and discrepancies that cast doubt on the authenticity of the phenomena. As a result, the scientific community over time, for the most part, rejected the existence of ectoplasm as a genuine supernatural or paranormal phenomenon. Ectoplasm was seen as a product of suggestibility, group dynamics, and the power of belief rather than tangible substance. And also, the ability to regurgitate foreign objects without throwing up. Told you it was gross. So now, let's touch on the seance craze just a little bit before we reach the end of this episode. So, seances. These gatherings of like-minded people, and even a skeptic or two being in regular attendance, experienced a significant rise in popularity during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It was driven by several cultural, social, and historical factors. 
Here's just a little overview of the key elements that contributed to this phenomenon. The spiritualism movement had a massive effect on the rise of seances, as well as spirit boards and other tools used. They were closely tied throughout the years. Spiritualism involved the belief in communication with the spirits of the deceased being possible. The movement in the U.S. gained a lot of momentum due to the hope of reconnecting with loved ones lost during the American Civil War and the spiritual curiosity of the time. It was so unfortunately common to lose loved ones to disease and war that there was no shortage of people seeking to speak to the dead. With the advances of communication in the 19th century, such as the telegraph, which made people more aware of the possibilities of transcending physical boundaries, an interest in the idea of contacting the spirit world was greatly fostered. People were saying things they'd never seen before, so who was to say it was impossible to speak with the dead as well? Then, there was the industrialization of the 19th century, and it brought about significant societal changes that people weren't ready for. Many people turned to spiritualism and seances as a way to seek solace, meaning, and connection beyond that material world. A world that seemed to feel like it was leaving them behind. What about the rise in mediums, or alleged psychics? Women in particular played a significant role as mediums in seances. This era offered some women a platform for public participation and leadership roles that were otherwise limited in society. This empowered women, and gave some the confidence to use their actual natural-born gifts. Going back to the Fox sisters, some believed the girls really had a gift that enabled them to know things they could not know, hence an ability to communicate with the dead. It's said that even though the phenomenon that was the Fox sisters had mad amounts of controversy, there was some proof of their abilities. They are said to have discovered the existence of a body under their home through one of their seances and communications with the spirits of their home. It was later discovered that there was, in fact, a body of a man there. Over the years, newspapers and other forms of media covered seances and spiritualist gatherings extensively, often sensationalizing the experiences and widely contributing to their popularity. Even well-known figures and intellectuals, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sir Oliver Lodge, publicly supported spiritualism and seances. Their endorsements added further credibility to the movement. Their endorsements added further credibility to the movement. So many people were curious about the unknown and were willing to experiment with seances and paranormal phenomena, and that still holds true today. Another fun spiritualism fact, advances in photography, the development of the camera, allowed seance participants to document their experiences, although these photographs were often contested as evidence to the paranormal. Some people even used the flaws in photography at the time to their advantage and created ghost photos by double exposure on the plates used in the camera. This is said to have been discovered by trying to reuse the plates as they were expensive and if they weren't scrubbed properly of the previous image, it would result in a hazy, quote, apparition appearing in an otherwise normal photograph. This was a huge movement all in itself as well. As time moved on, as it always does, the popularity of seances waned and the skepticism grew, and scientific scrutiny became more prevalent. However, the fascination with the supernatural and paranormal continues to this day albeit often in different forms, through various media outlets. Even Ed and Lorraine participated in seances. Lorraine was a self-proclaimed medium, and mediums have always loved a good seance, according to the history. Mediums and psychics play a central role in conducting seances, as they are believed to have the ability to facilitate communication with the spirit world or paranormal entities. Mediums and psychics are individuals who claim to have a special connection or sensitivity to the spiritual realm. They are often sought out to mediate communication between the living and the deceased, or otherworldly entities. This is where the term medium comes from. In a seance, a medium or psychic typically leads a group of people, guiding the team through the process. 
They may create a conductive atmosphere and set the intention for contacting spirits. For example, dimming the room, lighting candles, holding hands, and speaking directly to the spirits they wish to make contact with. Lorraine Warren was known as a light trance medium. These types of trance mediums enter a, quote, trance-like or altered state of conscious during seances. In this state, they may claim to be more receptive to messages from spirits. This can involve a temporary loss of awareness or control. Some mediums will verbally share what they are seeing or hearing in the trance states, and others will utilize automatic writing. And sometimes, they'll even speak in the spirit's voice they've attempted to communicate with. Mediums often aim to provide evidence of the presence of specific spirits by conveying personal information, messages, or memories that only the deceased would know. But a skeptic would point out, many of these so-called psychics and mediums will simply take advantage of a person's eagerness to experience communication with a deceased loved one, or learning about their future, that the person will unwittingly provide the medium with all they need to make the seance or reading become the proof the participant is seeking. It's important to note that the legitimacy of mediums and psychics and the authenticity of their abilities are subjects of considerable debate and skepticism. Many seances have been exposed as fraudulent, and various psychological and natural explanations have been proposed for the phenomena witnessed during such sessions. While some people strongly believe in the abilities of mediums and psychics, the scientific community generally regards their claims with skepticism and often seeks to test and verify their paranormal assertions. Some skeptics offer psychological explanations for seance phenomena, suggesting that the participants' beliefs, suggestibility, and group dynamics played a significant role in shaping their experiences. Organizations and individuals who were skeptical of spiritualism and seances have made many efforts to educate the public about the potential for deception in such practices. They published books, articles, and pamphlets to raise awareness about the tricks used by fraudulent mediums. Despite the skepticism and debunking efforts, spiritualism and seances continue to be popular, and many people remain committed to their beliefs in the supernatural. While these efforts did not eliminate spiritualism, they did contribute to a more critical and balanced view of the phenomena, encouraging a healthy skepticism and the need for empirical evidence to substantiate extraordinary claims. Here are some of the scientific explanations for the mysterious phenomena. Psychological factors and cognitive illusions. The ideomotor effect, which is a big one for planchettes and Ouija boards. It refers to the involuntary and subconscious muscle movements that can occur when a person's thoughts or beliefs influence their physical actions. This makes it appear that you're successfully communicating with the other side. There is also cold reading and Barnum statements. Mediums often employ techniques like cold reading and Barnum statements to provide vague and generalized information that seems personal but could apply to a wide range of individuals. This can create the illusion of psychic insight. And then there's sleight of hand, widely known to be used by magicians. There's also natural physical phenomena, unexplained physical phenomena, such as mysterious sounds, knocks, or movements of objects can sometimes be attributed to natural causes, like a building settling, drafts, or vibrations. Also, mass hysteria and group dynamics, expectation and confirmation bias, mental health and hallucinations, and finally, the explanation of magnetic fields and electromagnetic interference. Some scientists have proposed that fluctuations in electromagnetic fields, often present in seance environments, could affect the brain and sensory perception, leading to altered states of consciousness and unusual experiences. It's important to note that while these scientific explanations provide plausible alternatives for many seance phenomena, there may still be unexplained or ambiguous occurrences that challenge our understanding of the natural world. Skeptical inquiry and empirical investigation continue to play a crucial role in evaluating claims of the paranormal 
and uncovering the underlying mechanisms behind mysterious phenomena. The legacies of the planchette, fox sisters, and ectoplasm continue to resonate in popular culture, influencing how people perceive and engage with paranormal and supernatural concepts. While the scientific community largely rejects the validity of these phenomena, they continue to captivate the human imagination and serve as sources of fascination, entertainment, and exploration. Thank you for joining me for my week of super special episodes. I hope you enjoyed all the guests and interviews, and thank you for joining me for my little dive into some relevant history on this day of peculiar spookiness and fun. I had a blast doing this research, and the whole time I kept thinking, what did the Warrens think of each of these spikes in spiritualism and its tools? We already know how they felt about the Ouija board, but were they even aware how deep into history these things go? I would have seriously loved to sit down with Ed and Lorraine and have these discussions. It might be hard for Ed to take in my skeptical views, but I believe if he were my friend, like he was to some of the people I've had the privilege of speaking with, I think we could have some really good, albeit heated, conversations. Here's to all those who have contributed, then and now, to the world of spiritualism and the tools created to continue and follow a great movement. Don't forget to say hello to your deceased loved ones over the next couple days. According to the Warrens, and many other aspects in history, this is the most likely time they will hear you and maybe, even possibly, communicate back. Happy Halloween, all. Until next time. everyone. Are you ready to embark on a magical journey into the world of nature's treasures? Look no further than Into the Woods Stones and Crystals. Discover the enchanting collection of stones and crystals that will ignite your spirit and elevate your well-being. At Into the Woods Stones and Crystals, they offer a treasure trove of Mother Earth's finest gems, all carefully handpicked to bring you positive energy and healing vibrations. Whether you're a seasoned crystal enthusiast or just beginning your crystal journey, they've got something for everyone. From amethyst to quartz, citrine to obsidian, each crystal is a unique masterpiece waiting to enhance your life. And if you listen to my interview on Creepy Chisma, you know how much I love obsidian. But that's not all. When you shop with them, you're not just buying crystals, you're investing in a deeper connection with nature. Their crystals are ethically sourced and sustainably harvested, ensuring they protect the earth as they share its precious gifts. And here's a special treat for you listeners. Use code TRUTHORDEMONS, all one word, at checkout to enjoy an exclusive discount on your purchase. Ready to bring a touch of magic into your life? Visit their website, into-the-woods-stones.myshopify.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. Explore their exquisite collection, and don't forget to follow them on social media for updates, special offers, and crystal wisdom. I will put all links in the show notes. Into the Woods Stones and Crystals where the magic of nature meets the power of your spirit. Shop now, enter Truth or Demons at checkout, and let the journey begin.